0: Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights, here with Dustin Cooley, the personal finance dad. Been looking forward to this for a while. Going to hear Dustin's origin story, how he got to his perch in the YouTube universe as uh, an authority and has a lot of great things to say. We're going to hear from some of them. The first thanks sponsors, Panini, Tops, Upper Deck, Heritage Auctions, Huggins Scott Auctions, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Burbank Sports Cards, as well as Compsy. .com and Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication. Dustin, I've followed you. I don't know that I've followed you as closely as you've followed me, but I have followed you, enjoyed your work on YouTube. Let's hear your story. Welcome to the show. Thanks for
1: having me. I, I was telling Dr. Beckett before we came on, this is like meeting with a rock star or something like meeting Axl Rose or Mick Jagger or something. But this is great. Thank you so much for having me on. As far as YouTube is concerned, started watching YouTube a couple of years ago and about 18 months ago, really started to watch a lot of collectibles and a lot of sports card stuff. I saw more and more channels starting to pop up and it was something that I was already doing. I had gotten back to the, into the hobby about three years ago after a 25-year hiatus. Uh, from, from my youth. I'm about to turn 40 in May. So I joke about it's like my midlife crisis coming back into the hobby. But I think of that as a, a positive thing. That's usually got a negative connotation to it. I don't really look at it like that. I think it's more of reconnecting with my younger self in, in a good way. Got back into the hobby about three years ago, buying and selling cards. I also buy other collectibles, graded comic books were are of interest to me as well. And the YouTube piece, I don't have any sort of a, a broadcasting background or anything like that at all. No YouTube experience, but I just saw that that more and more of average joes just getting out there and talking about it and then i was also hearing i know people do mention gary v gary vaynerchuk like him or dislike him he's a very motivational guy and 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 i was watching more of his stuff especially as we got early into the pandemic Then i was like why wouldn't i do this because a lot of his advice is just just put yourself out there if you have something you're passionate about just get started and create content when people ask him for advice it's always the same exact advice just make more content about that thing. It's very simple. So that's what kind of got me on the YouTube train. I was nervous starting out. I've never really been in front of the camera or anything like that. But once you just do a bunch of videos then it's second nature, you gain more confidence.
0: It just kind of grew from there. Why are you personal finance dad? You went from being a kid collector to the personal finance dad and you skipped a, a couple decades in there. So you're yeah. probably a dad. What's the personal finance connection? Because it seems like mostly now it's about uh, sports cards.
1: Yeah, and I put a lot of thought into the the channel in general. And I was thinking about, it, I was like, look, if I'm going to do this, I, I really want this to be a long term venture. Something that I could even do as a hobby w- when I'm older, maybe when I'm retired, I still have the channel or some sort of brand that I can podcast around or whatever. Who knows what the technology will be like in 30, 40, 50 years or probably virtual reality or whatever we're doing. So I picked the personal finance dad to keep it really general and also just to give me the, the ability to talk about different subjects. So I try to tie in sports card investing slash collecting into larger topics that revolve around personal finance. So I just kept it really general because I was worried that if I'm the card dad and then maybe I have other interests, it's like, why is the card dad talking about graded comic books? Or why is he talking about how to save money in these ways or whatever? I did that because I was just thinking long-term that could be just a good like generic brand that I could build around.
0: Well, I was just wondering how you perceive your audience because basically I think about those things too. And it seems like more than two-thirds of your content is sports cards. Three-fourths, would you say? Yeah, definitely.
1: I thought about changing it or starting it as more of a collectibles dad or kind of just focused around collectibles. So maybe not just cards, but collectibles probably would have worked out fine too. And that was something I talked to my wife about. I'd already started the channel and then I was like, man, I'm going down this collectibles path. Maybe I should reroute. Maybe I should switch it up. But She said, do what you want, obviously, but I just decided to end up to stand with it. I'd already gotten started with it and decided to just keep on going.
0: Well, it, it has some warmth <laughs> to it. it. It's become your persona, but I was just curious. I've always perceived as I do my podcast. Podcast and interact with some of the listeners, and I know you have a lot of interaction with your uh, listeners and, and uh, followers. But I have a perception that my followers, my listeners, are pretty smart, and I think you have that same perception because you don't seem to talk down to your audience. I was listening to an episode about NFTs. You had some reference to that. I'm thinking the average sports card collector doesn't know what a token is, doesn't know what fungible, I've mentioned fungible, that all PSA 9s or all BGS 9s are not fungible in that context. So you have the range to look at any alternative investments. And that's really where- Tangible and not intangible things now with those
1: kinds of things. Exactly. And that's where I wanted to be able to branch out. And I do look at my channel as more of, I'm opening up a conversation about hot topics. So if we're talking about NBA Top Shot, we're talking about NFTs, I look at it as more of, a, hey, I'm not telling you what to do or how to think about this topic. I just want to start the conversation and build the community. And that's how I view it. And that's how I try to operate so that I'm not preaching or um, trying to sell you something or talk you into anything. It's more of just buddies sitting around having coffee. That's how I want to be very conversational.
0: I may have thought I was doing that too back in the day, but a lot of times people take what you say or what you write and run with it. You think people yeah. are doing that with some of the things you're uh, coming out with? You're not a sensationalist but I bet people listen to what you say and go uh, take action. I do try to be careful with it.
1: I know that as my channel has grown too. early on, I didn't think anything about that when I had 500 subscribers or a thousand subscribers. And even now I don't feel that I have some massive influence but it it does continue to grow. And and like you said, even if a handful of people act on it, it's still a handful of people. So I keep that in mind when I'm speaking. And that's why I always give the disclaimers. Hey, no financial advice, just just talking, having conversation. And I also like debate too. I like healthy debate. I don't like getting blasted in my comment section. I understand if you don't like something. I like healthy debate. Part of it too, is I really like opening it up so that I can learn from the viewership because I think I've got a pretty good handle on some stuff, but NFTs, I'm just learning about a lot of this stuff. There's a lot of longtime collectors and cards that have taught me a lot over the last year. So a lot of it, I I look at the channel as more of a vehicle to open conversation and to also learn from viewership as well. I don't position myself as an expert in my field, so to speak.
0: When you started out, you said you liked debate and I thought you said you liked bait, B-A-I-T. And I thought (laughs) that's what a lot of these podcasters do. They put some clickbait out there, the equivalent of that. To draw people in. But no, I think you're, you seem to be a pretty straight shooter. But what happened to your cards from when you were a kid? You still have those or are they gone?
1: Yeah. Now, some of them, I have a little brother. I'm 39. My little brother's 32, one of them. And he has all of the, like magically a lot of the good stuff is not in the boxes that my mom brought. And then my brother said that he's got it. I'm like, there's just typical, just typical, but at least it's not completely lost. So yeah, I don't have a lot of valuable things from those days, but it is fun to just go through the 89 pro set football or the 90 score, the stuff and just flip through it and just remember those days. It's fun. So I do have some of that.
0: Yeah. And what about collecting now? Do you have any players ePC PC or teams or what's your focus right now? Yeah.
1: I mean, for PC and I'm careful just because I'm on a budget. I can't spend too much on the PC. I'm a huge New Orleans Saints fan. I do have a couple of Breeze rookie autos and stuff like that, but I don't have a $5,000 Breeze rookie or anything. And I don't just buy just singles of things just randomly. I do have some and for, and it's been really nice. I've had viewership actually send me cards. I got Marcus Colston cards in the mail, which is awesome. But For me, I'm pretty strategic. I I think I probably fall more on the investor side, if that's what we're going to call it, just in the sense that I want to make sure that I'm careful in what I'm buying. And I buy with the anticipation of those growing over time. Not that I know if they will or not. That's the goal. It's less PC and more of which cards have potential to grow, whether it be short-term flips or long-term holds or however you view it. We used
0: to think that, I don't know if you're in personal finance in your vocation, but for most uh, financial analysts, they would generally perceive that a person, whether 40 or 50 or whatever, most of their net worth would be in their home. If they owned their own home, they'd have equity in their home if they'd owned it for a while. Now that's out the window. Their primary source of net worth is the value of their card collection. (laughs) It's more than their house. In, In some cases of some people your age that I know, because they've astutely traded and upgraded and bought and sold and have a collection that's turned out to be really valuable, on paper anyway.
1: Yeah, you nailed it. That's something that is really interesting. I've noticed that too, where there's literally guys that are living in a one-bedroom apartment and nobody's getting married anymore, and, and they just have massive card collections, or they've got NFTs, or they've got all these alternative investments. And like you said, that goes against traditional finance, the stuff that you're supposed to do, what society tells you to do. It's very interesting. and I could go into all the different factors of that. There's so many kind of macroeconomic things that are probably making people nervous right now. I don't know if you want to dig into all that, but what's your vocational situation? I'm an IT recruiter for a large company. And I, I did own an insurance agency previously. I've worked in finance. I do have a finance background. Uh, but, but for the last five years, I've been in, in recruiting. And I really enjoy that. I segged out of the finance world into more recruitment. It, it works hand in hand. There is a sales element to recruiting. It's challenging. I'm in Raleigh, North Carolina, which is a pretty big tech town. It's not a big town, but it's like little Atlanta. There's a lot of tech companies
0: here. We got Research Triangle, right? All that stuff going on there. Yeah, I almost did a postdoc at uh, NC State. Okay. Too long ago, and it was going to be in biostatistics, and I didn't take it because I'm just not that strong in science. I'm more of a math and statistics guy, but might have been valuable in this uh, COVID time we're living in. (laughs) Could have worked at the CDC. Absolutely. Um, Okay. I know you have interaction through your YouTube channel, but what other ways do you connect with collectors in terms of transactions of cards? Buying or selling? Is it a lot of eBay? Is it Facebook or Instagram? Or... Comsi or going to shows? If you're in Raleigh, there's some shows in the North Carolina area.
1: Yeah, I would say that probably 95% of it has been on eBay over the last, uh, maybe 90% because I've done some stuff on Comsi. I think I've done one transaction on Starstock. I feel like I'm just slow to get up to speed with some of the new platforms, but I enjoy hunting on eBay and doing that bit. There is a, a local card shop. Of course, over the last month, we haven't really been going anywhere, doing a whole lot, but Um, There is a local card shop that actually just upgraded into a two-story place there. And they've been here for about 15 years. So I went there and I've been there a few times. The one thing I've talked about in the channel too, is the one thing that I miss, and it's almost like a revenge thing for me too, is the last time I was negotiating cards was in in person really, because I've been buying them on eBay for the last two years as an adult, three years. I was a kid, so I was negotiating against 40-year-old guys like me, arguing about if the card was near mint or if it's going to be $8 or $4 or whatever. And so now it's payback. Now it's like, all right, I need to get out and do some face-to-face negotiations. I'm, I'm excited to do a lot more of that piece. That's definitely a goal as we move, hopefully, out of the COVID stuff
0: to do more face-to-face transactions. That was one of the most fascinating things about the industry, certainly 30 or 40 years ago, when you know the sharp kid could joust with the adult. And whole, mostly his own. (laughs) And then a lot of them grew up into being very successful, savvy uh, business people with successful careers. So I'm very happy about that. And that's partly what's fueling this run up is that people that were the sharp young people from uh, 30 years ago grew up and got some extra money. Now they get what they want to get it's no, exactly right. Sports cards was my first foray
1: into business and negotiation as a kid. I think there's a lot of people my age that probably had the same circumstance, the same background, And you're right. Yeah, now we all have money. We're here now and it's exciting. And then the Beckett Magazine was a part of that because before Beckett Magazine, there's no way of really being able to price anything out. You were literally flying blind at the card shop or at the show. And so that gave something to work with.
0: Dustin, that's a great note to end on because I think I'm going to deem you to be a proud graduate of Beckett University at, (laughs) at an early age and have gone on to great success. So thanks, Dustin, for sharing your story. Thanks, listeners, for listening. We'll be back again tomorrow with another episode. The man-